Hello, and welcome to Engage with Eagle Forum, a podcast to encourage the modern day woman in her vital role in shaping society. I'm one of your hosts, Tabitha Walter, and I'm joined by our executive director, Kirsten Hassler. Hello, everyone. Today, we are tackling an issue that affects women, specifically young girls in sports. We couldn't think of a better person to talk about this issue than our guest today, Doreen Denny. Doreen is the Vice President of Governmental Relations at Concerned Women for America, which is the nation's largest women's public policy organization. She has held positions in the White House under George H.W. Bush, U.S. Departments of Education, Health and Human Services, and both chambers of Congress. So she's, she's very well-rounded in the governmental sphere. She has served as a consultant for both private sector and nonprofit organizations, working on issues ranging from education reform to emerging democracies. She even took a career break to raise her two children at home who are now adults. Her and her husband reside in Arlington, Virginia. Welcome to the show, Doreen. Thank you, Tabitha, and thank you, Kirsten. It's so wonderful to be with you today. It is. So before we start getting into politics, let's yeah. take a second to talk about that last bit of your bio, that you chose to put your career on hold to raise your kids. So what influenced your decision to do that? And then what was it like coming back into the workforce? Yeah. Well, thanks for asking, because I do hope this becomes a, an element of encouragement to women who are really considering, you know, what does their future hold when they've been doing something that they enjoy so much in, the, mm -hmm. in whatever role they have professionally, but then also have a tremendous value and realize that the, the years are short when you raise your children. And I was kind of in that situation. I was working on Capitol Hill in a very demanding position as a deputy chief of staff. Uh, you know, the schedule kind of overruns your your ability to control that. And when my husband and I started our family, he was also traveling. So for me, it was kind of an easier decision to say, hey, I'm going to be the one to step away for now. And I didn't have any big ideas about what that would look like, how long it would be or any of that. I didn't try to make my next 10 year or 20 year plan um, at that moment. Uh, but but as things unfolded and, and I had my second child and, and we just continued to kind of realized that our lives as it was unfolding, it really, I did value the opportunity to be at home working at, you know, and, and engaged in their school. They were both in public schools. I mean, that was a kind of a decision we needed to make. Um, but I also was very involved in ministry. So I sort of turned my passion around issues and, and the concerns that I have for our country into ministering to women and mentoring young professional women. I, never, I didn't want a paycheck at that time because I didn't want to be obligated to, you know, an <laughs> employer. And so I just found sort of the opportunity in different ways to be fulfilled in these roles. And also, you know, started leading the Moms in Prayer group for our schools, uh, elementary, middle school, and high school. And so I was just um, realized that the Lord had those years for me for that time uh, for a purpose. And I, I do have to say that I sort of laid down, I think, uh, to the Lord a couple of years before my daughter was was going to be graduating my youngest and said okay lord now what you know where are you going to take me what do you want me to do with my time you've wired me designed me to be the person that i am i have experiences that are still relevant but it's a different world too i mean look a couple decades later i mean a lot of politics had changed the issues had changed but a lot of the things also stayed the same uh, government still runs in washington the way that it runs and we were still here 
So I just kind of laid that out before the Lord and, and, um, and this, you know, really the opportunity to join Concerned Women for America kind of came just at, a, at the right time and, and for good reason. And uh, I didn't, I got called about the position, but I didn't really think about myself being there. I was, I'm thinking they were asking me for suggestions. And then I read the, the, re, the role and I thought, oh goodness, um, maybe I'm the one that needs to step up for this. And so I just really am grateful to Penny Nance and for this organization to open the doorways, as I know that Eagle Forum has done, to say, women, you know, you're welcome into this world to be a contributor at whatever season the Lord has for you. And, and really that um, the opportunity to step into doing something that I really enjoy, to use some skills that I had to learn from others uh, has just been a real delight. So that's a long answer, but I do think it's relevant and an encouraging one that I would hope that other women who find themselves in different seasons to look at life as seasons. And that just because you might step away from a professional world for a while doesn't mean that the Lord won't have you uh, to step back in it for a reason and, and for a season. And so. That's where I am today in my mid-50s and, and my two kids now that are emerging out of college and it's, and it's been a delight. That's, I love that. I think it's such a barrier for a lot of women to take a step back because they're so scared about like, well, where will I be? Like, how will I get a job in, you know, 15 to 20 years? But you did it. So other women can do it too. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I also find, I'll just add in that you never know when you're going to be called in to do something that you didn't expect. Uh, the issue that we're going to get into right now is one that that is like that. And, and I feel like it's an issue that almost became more relevant and sort of new to hit the horizon around the time I was coming in. And so in that regard, you know, again, the God's going to bring you into a place when there might be issues or particular places that we are in our culture and society that um, that just needs your skills and your talents in a new way. And we just know, you know, we can't really predict what that's going to be at the time, but um, here we are now. Right. Well, let's go ahead and dive in then. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we know women's rights have come a, a long way over the last hundred years. And one way that we've seen those rights play out are in sports. And, you know, we just never thought in a million years that we would see these rights to start unravel, unravel. but here we are trying to protect women and girls from being ousted from their sports by biological men. And just to clarify, this particular problem isn't one that's focused around whether or not you agree with transgenderism, but it's actually a problem of women having an unfair disadvantage in their own sports. Mm -hmm. So can you frame some of those issues that we're seeing right now? Sure. And, and I think you're exactly right, Tabitha. The, the understanding is that, you know, we're, we're recognizing that we're in a very challenging time right now with, with a sort of gender ideology and orthodoxy that's taking us in places we never thought we would go. And unfortunately, too many young children are being led down an unfortunate, irreversible path. And we're sorry for that on a medical front. But also just looking the fact that we're going to be present with these issues among us in our cultures and communities and schools, we have to recognize that these, these, this is among us. But what we can't deny is the truth and the reality that biological sex distinctions matter. They will always matter, regardless of what someone might do to try to alter their bodies. And we have a, a value and a, and a belief around civil rights that are based on immutable characteristics. And being male and female is one of those. That is designed, ingrained in every cell in your body as a chromosomal reality, XX or XY. That doesn't change because you might have a different idea about yourself 
or might even pursue a course of treatment that might try to have you align more with the opposite sex. And so if we're going to have civil rights and, 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 and the ability to have a fair playing field that does have impact because of your biological sex and sports is gonna be in that category, then we have to, to fight for the reality that biological sex distinctions matter in, in sports. And if we're gonna have male sports or men, you know, sports for men and boys and sports for women and girls, then it needs to be divided according to biological sex. If we wanna have other categories of sports where biological sex distinctions aren't the thing that, that determines your participation, that's a different question, right? But when we're talking about what Title IX allowed and opened up for women and girls by allowing for educational opportunities and benefits to be on par and, and required equality with other, you know, with men and boys at that time, 48 years ago, Title IX has ensured that for women and that's been very important and that's what we're trying to preserve. Yeah, and scientists still hold true to their assessments of the stark differences between the male body and the female body. So a study in the Journal of Applied Physiology found that men have on average 26 pounds more muscle mass than women. Women were found to have 40% less upper body strength and 33% less lower body strength. Even the fastest woman in the world, Florence Griffin Joyner, who ran the 100-meter dash in a 10.49 seconds, wouldn't be qualified to run in the men's competition, which required them to run under 10.16. What are some of the specific cases that you've seen where a man has entered a woman's sport competition and then won and taken opportunities away from these girls? Yeah, so we have examples right now that have been that have been fairly um, aware. I think a growing awareness around both at the high school level and at the college level. In high school, um, the case that has been most prominent has been in the state of Connecticut, where uh, you had a, a policy. You have a Connecticut Connecticut state policy that only requires that a person identify themselves according to their gender and on a binary category, male or female. So there were some. Uh, boy athletes, they are male by in, in body, uh, who, who have chosen to choose to be girls, and therefore they got to participate as girls in track. Well, they have every characteristic. In fact, they're early on participation. They hadn't done anything physically to change them, even though we know that those uh, differences aren't completely mitigated with treatments. Um, but because of that, of course, they were young male boys, uh, men in, female in a female athlete competition. And so they have been able to win the state titles. Uh, they moved on to regional competition at the expense of the girls, the female athletes, who have worked every, every day of their lives to be and excel in their sport and were put on the sidelines because of it. Um, at the college level, you have actually an NCAA national title in women's 400 meter hurdles that went to a male athlete. He was a uh, male, and I say male, again, identifying as a woman, but had previously for three years competed on the men's team for the same university, Franklin Pierce University, and then went on to win the national NCAA title. Um, of course, putting then down the podium, all the other girls that really, and the female athletes, the college women that should be in the, in the top spots. Also, Big Sky comp, uh, Conference in the NCAA had a had an indoor athlete was also doing cross country. Again, the same situation: three years on the men's team, 
transitioned and uh, had taken some hormones and they allowed for this individual to, to compete in the female competition. And again, you look at the tape, you will see that the body size and capacity of this athlete was far superior to the girls that were on the track um, alongside. And, and you know, our concern is, again, we're, we're concerned that a system right now is allowing for this. This is the issue. Our issue is not against the athletes who are just playing by the rules as they are. Mm -hmm. We do believe that those rules have to be clarified and changed in places where unfair competition is happening. And so we filed complaints with the U.S. Department of Education on the two college cases. There's been a complaint at the high school level that has, has actually the Department of Education has made a ruling on and determined that Connecticut's policy is in violation of Title IX, which requires that equal educational opportunities and benefits be given to women and females as they are for males. And so uh, there's an enforcement action that's kind of pending right now. We're not exactly sure which way it's gonna go, but this was an opportunity the federal government has made a statement now that uh, Title IX is a biologically based uh, requirement. And uh, of course, the last administration had changed that, had turned it on its head, which really had, has led us down this path where you have policies that are allowing for this kind of unfair, unjust competition. Yeah, and, and, and Eagle Forum has worked closely with partners like CWA and, and helping get the word out about this and working with the Department of Ed. So it'll be interesting to see where this is headed in the next couple of years. But to add to this, the House Democrats last year passed the Equality Act. We had a lot of concerns with this piece of legislation, one of them being that it would possibly allow biological men to play on women's sports. This bill hasn't gone any farther. It hasn't hit in the Senate. But this summer, the Supreme Court made a huge ruling in the decision in Bostock versus Clayton County, which included sexual orientation and gender identity in Title VII of the Civil Rights Code. So if Democrats were able to gain control of the Senate and the White House and then pass the Equality Act, how would this affect women in sports in combination with the decision in the Supreme Court? There's a lot of different factors. <laughs> yes, well, you know, I have to say that because the Equality Act seeks to redefine sex to include sexual orientation and gender identity, it basically removes a protected category of sex being binary, male and female. Because anytime it gives preference, in a sense, by protecting someone who just can state what they believe they are, and it's not based on the factual truth of who they are in their body. Um, it really, you can't argue with that, right? So anybody that has a desire, any male that wants to claim identity as a female, wants to claim status as a female, therefore you can't challenge that legally because they have the right to have that belief about themselves and it's not based on anything that's factual. The rule of law gets really tough here when you don't have an ability to base something on fact, a uh, fact of somebody's real being. So what we're concerned about at Concerned Women for America is even beyond the, uh, the category of sports, it's about having protections and the physical safety protections that women need. And we've always enjoyed by being having separate spaces, having protected places, mm -hmm. having domestic violence shelters that could be female only. Those are actually, um, challenged even today uh, through our federal laws and, and state laws. And so we're concerned that the, if the Equality Act were to move forward, if the, if the Congress would pass a law like the Equality Act that would say that, that sex now means gender identity, 
it would remove the protected class of sex. Um, just like if the ERA ever got into constitutional law that again, doesn't have protections for women, it just basically neutralizes the meaning of sex. Mm -hmm. And again, whether or not sex has gender identity in it or you remove an ability to protect women on the basis of sex, I think we lose and it's a, and it's a great danger for, uh, for our future and for our country. Um, so we're concerned about that. The, the court case, the uh, Bostock um, versus Clayton County that, that gave transgender status a category in Title VII. Again, the threat is to move that into the category of Title IX that, that basically is the thing that rules uh, educational settings. So uh, classrooms and bathrooms and locker rooms and sports in an interscholastic way, but in a broader concern about our society where all facilities would also be opened up under the Equality Act. Those are the things that we're, we're concerned about. Right now, Bostock is supposed to be narrowly decided, but we know and we've seen what happened in past cases with Obergefell and others, that it quickly gets opened up and threatened in a much broader case. The Department of Education has made a specific declaration that the Bostock case does not overrule Title IX, and we are grateful for that. We work very hard to get that clarity it's clarity that's not known and understood by schools today. And frankly, if they don't do something to enforce that, um, you're gonna have a, still a great patchwork that also uh, exists today across the states. And it's the reason that states like Idaho are passing their own laws to protect women and girls in sports and other states are, are looking to follow along with them. Yeah, to actually view that letter and the one that the coalition actually sent to the Department of Ed, we will include a link into the episode notes so you all can read it. Mm -hmm. And please share it. This is yeah. the thing that our local school boards, our state legislatures, our, our, our you know, state school boards, uh, the you know, district administrators, they all need to understand what their, regard, what their rules are behind um, Title IX because if you're a recipient of federal funding, you need to follow the law. And the, regulational, uh, the regulation authority that the Department of Education has, uh, which is supposed to be, uh, courts are supposed to give deference to that. So this ought to be the, the definitive um, statement and the definitive rule. And that's why we would hope that this would then deter some of the possibilities that um, schools are going to, again, open their competitions uh, in an unfair way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, this is a classic example of why words matter because they can be interpret, interpreted different ways. Um, so let's talk about a couple pieces of legislation that have either been passed or proposed to stop this from happening. On the federal level, Senator Kelly Loeffler from Georgia introduced the Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act. It is meant to defend the goals of Title IX, which is considered a federal civil rights law, like you said. Um, can you talk a little more about what Title IX actually does and then how the bill would clarify this language? Sure, yeah, so Title IX was the law passed in 1972 as the education amendments um, of 1972 uh, to ensure that equal benefits and opportunities in education were, would not be uh, discriminated on the basis of sex. So sex uh, was sort of, it basically prohibited discrimination based on the category of being male or female in education, uh, in all categories of education. So any program or activity, it is the requirement that any school would have to follow for receiving uh, federal education dollars. Now, 
on, at the college level, that's virtually every school in America because they all receive student loans, uh, federal support through students, not to mention research grants or other kinds of grants in their schools. That's all maybe the exception of two. I think Rose City and Hillsdale have held themselves out. Um, Go Chargers. <laughs> okay, there you go. But that so it, it's not only public schools, but also private, many private colleges and universities. At the at the um, K through 12 level, again, most public schools are recipients of federal dollars, either through their Title I program, through education um, IDEA, you know, the um, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, any number of other things. So this is the this is the avenue that that the uh, Department of Education has to ensure and enforce any kinds of discrimination complaints or concerns around um, Title IX. So what Kelly Leffler's bill does is make very clear that any school receiving title, uh, federal funding under Title IX must ensure that, that sports that are designated for women and girls are only for female athletes. It's crazy that we're having to be so explicit we have to talk about biological sex. Well, we should think that in the scientific realm, sex has always been mentioned as a biological category. But she actually went, took another step in her bill because there was a mirror bill in the house that was first um, offered by Greg Stubbe several months ago, earlier this year. She, because of the nature of this debate and how things are developing, she went an extra step and put in another section that defined what was meant by sex. It meant your reproductive biology and your genetic chromosomes. Okay, that's how specific we're gonna to have to get to realize that we're really talking about women being female. Because today, uh, in, a in, a, in a sort of a trans or gender identity world where people are coming up with all ways of defining or trying to say who they are or wanna claim who they are, uh, identify people, males who are identifying as women will call themselves female. They will say they're female. Um, and so again, we have to be we have to be so clear now, and we're grateful that she's offered this legislation. She was joined by Senator Lee, Senator Langford, Senator Cotton, and Senator Blackburn. We're hoping that we can uh, push more senators to co-sponsor this bill. Again, we need to bring this to a national stage, and we're grateful for that as she's done that in the Senate. Also, Eagle Forum has sent out a legislative action alert on this bill asking your senator to co-sponsor. So please follow the link in our bio notes to do so. It is vitally important that they hear from you so that they know that this is an issue that is important and they need to take seriously. Uh, so to continue in this discussion, on the state level, Idaho recently passed the Idaho's Fairness in, state, er, in Sports Act. Can you talk about this bill and how other states can get on board with the same idea? Yeah, sure. And again, this was an, in, an instance where, uh, you know, several states in this past legislative session, one that was very disrupted by COVID. So we didn't see as much activity in this area as we thought we might. Mm -hmm. But there were 14 to 16 states who had offered legislation like similar to what Idaho's doing. Idaho got it across the finish line. Um, the, the governor signed the bill. And of course, it was immediately um, challenged and has been a lawsuit put forward against with by the ACLU. We expected that. And so it's now in litigation. The important thing to recognize is that Idaho made a very explicit statement of value that, that female sports, sports for women and girls in the interscholastic club level, every level that's in being involved in, in, um, in Idaho, that those sports are designed according to your biological sex. So again, here we have an issue because girls are the ones that get disadvantaged 
because of our physical capacity, if we have to compete against boys. It doesn't go both ways here. Uh, you know, girls ha have in the past and even still do. Some of them are kickers on football teams. Some of them are doing different things, participating in boys sports. But if you are up against competition that is anything outside of weight class, like wrestling or something, generally speaking, we're at a disadvantage. So they specifically had this bill not be one that was, you know, defining sex as sports according to sex, but specifically trying to protect women and girls for the purposes of fair competition. Uh, it's it's been. Um, I have to say that the, the sponsor of this legislation, Barbara Earhart, she herself was a college athlete, basketball athlete, and coached for a, over a decade in Division I sports. She's now a representative at the state of Idaho. She understands firsthand the importance of this issue and has been super articulate and really been a, in, in her own right without you know, looking for it, gotten a lot of attention and, and had a lot of news um, and media opportunities. But, but she really says clearly how important it is that, you know, this is the future for girls learn so many different skills. She's seen it as a player, felt it as a player, seen it as a coach uh, in life. The opportunity to, to excel at something, to be a part of something, whether it be a team, uh, whether to develop leadership skills. What, what breaks my heart is the letter that we got. This was last year when the Equality Act was being debated from a mother in Georgia that said, my daughter is, is facing a situation right now in her own school about unfair competition because of gender identity. She said, my daughter said, if this is the way it's gonna be mom, what's the point? So we're already dashing the dreams of our daughters today by setting them up in a world that says that your fairness, fairness in you, for your sport based on who you are, just the person that you are, the, the sex that you were born with, now doesn't matter for us in our culture because we are gonna just allow you to be trampled um, in an unfair situation. Again, our concern needs to be around the institutional things that are allowing this to happen, the policies that are out there right now, uh, not standing up for federal law and civil rights law, but we have got to have the voice to challenge this and to challenge it very clearly and loudly for our daughters and for the future generations, because this is not the way it's supposed to be. And this is not, uh, and so Idaho, thank the Lord, moved in the direction that they did. They are in, on the front lines or what you call ground zero in this debate right now and the legal challenges. And unfortunately the NCAA is, is fostering and fueling this um, unfairness. They have, like I said, a national title, other conferences, their own policy. We're trying to do things to get that changed. That's gonna come with more states uh, going along and trying to push this issue. We already know of several that are gonna be in the next session. If you're involved in your legislatures, please get behind the efforts of members in this, and that are trying to move this forward. Be, be wise and winsome about the way you engage in this debate. Uh, Thankfully, in Idaho, you have two girls, uh, two athletes that were specifically affected um, by the competition in the Big Sky Conference from the University of Montana that are part of the lawsuit in defending uh, the state of Idaho around this. This is the kind of thing we need. We need the, women's, the women athletes to stand up. And we've had over 300 of them sign a letter to the NCAA, current and former NCAA athletes and professional athletes, because they're the victims. You know, our daughters are the victims here, our athletes. And I say, you know, my own children were involved in, in sports and one at the college level. So it's so important right now um, that we really be willing to get behind these state efforts. Yeah, absolutely. And both Eagle Forum and CWA have state chapters. Mm -hmm. um, and there are even family policy 
networks in various states. So there are conservative organizations on the state level working on this legislation as well. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening, don't hesitate to find your chapter in your state. Um, and we can help with that too, if, if you um, are having trouble with finding that. But, but beyond state and federal, you wrote an article called How Trump Can Save Women's Sports. So in a political situation like this, where we have a Democrat majority House and a Republican majority Senate, very few bills are going to, going to pass through both chambers to get to the president's desk. So what can the president do himself to ensure that women and girls are protected in these sports? Thank you. And again, and this kind of goes full circle back to some of the actions that have just recently happened within the Department of Education uh, and the Department of Justice. They both have a role to play here. Um, the Department of Justice, we've asked to be very clear in getting involved in some of these court cases. They actually did give a statement of interest, both in Connecticut in the federal district court challenge and in the state of Idaho. They've provided legal analysis as to why uh, these uh, First of all, the Connecticut policy is against the law and the Idaho policy is consistent with law and constitution. And so uh, again, depending on which side these things are going and where the challenge is, uh, but that's something that the Department of Justice really needs to be a part of. They're responsible for um, enforcing our civil rights laws in the United States. Department of Education has the primary responsibility as a regulatory body to make sure that the uh, regulations are clear that the uh, communication to school districts are clear. We would like them to be much more uh, aggressive, or I should say initiative oriented in letting schools know. I think that we are gonna have to be part of the mouthpiece here as organizations, which is why being involved in, in making clear of the policy of the department with the letters that you've shared is so important. But um, since I wrote that article in you know late last year, a lot has happened in this in this year and we're grateful for that but there's more to be done and i would have to say that this has been an, a, an issue that's been difficult i think for maybe the president and others in his administration to kind of wrap around and understand we would like to see more clarity in their position and their standing up for girls we believe that this is the women's rights issue of our time right now uh, we're working closely with women across the spectrum we find that we have a partnership with uh, self-proclaimed radical feminists uh, who are really recognizing, I mean, we're all standing for the female status, right? For the ability to be recognized and dignified as women, um, as female, and, and the, the importance behind that. And so I think that these alliances are actually speaking, they're, they're saying something very, um, different and new maybe right now in a very pol otherwise polarized culture so we need to embrace that and um and and again i would really love to see this administration be a little more vocal out front front into what their policy positions now have sort of caught up to become um really the thing that we're standing on and a foundation for us to move forward mm -hmm. yeah well there's certainly been a lot that we can jump off of which has been great for this you know this past couple of years and, and you're so right in talking about the, the the this tends to be a partisan issue but it isn't one and so as as long as we continue to have all these organizations who are on differing sides of um you know different women issues but we all can come together about this our voices will be a lot louder yeah. it's just cool to see that come all together so if a parent is seeing this happening in their child's school what should they do to seek help 
and and maybe I want to clarify what they're seeing happen because there's different things that are happening right now. Mm -hmm. There are the, you know, there's a curriculum issue right now that's going on that is, um, I think, a major concern. And and I would recommend to everyone uh, the book by Abigail Schreier, which maybe you've talked about before, but it's, um, um, you know, the it's, it's about just the destruction that's happening or the concern that's happening. Irreversible damage is what the name, the title of the book is and how the culture is really um, undermining um, young girls and women and our understanding of who we are. Um, it, she talks a lot about the cultural, uh, the curriculum concerns uh, in the name of anti-bullying curriculum and so forth, but it's confusing children today in our schools. I do think we have to be very clear and, and um, that in our, to our school boards, to our teachers and, and so forth, that this kind of curriculum does not happen outside of the watch of parents and awareness. Um, we need to be really clear about that, that schools don't have the right to um, identify a child that is identifying him or herself as the opposite sex uh, without having any contact with a parent. This is happening in some of our schools across the country. The issues of, of the rights of parents, I think we have to own and we have to, and, and to make sure that we make it very clear all the way through uh, every administrative level of our schools that this is necessary, uh, that we have engagement and that we have knowledge of what's happening. I'm concerned too around the, just the policies that allow for any you know, going into using facilities like restrooms and locker rooms based on gender identity. I think the Title IX letter that the Department of Education has put forward makes reference to the importance of having sex-separated facilities, and we need to stand on that as the policy of the United States and the policy under Title IX of that any school that's trying to open up their bathrooms, any state policies, any local policies or school uh, district policies that are otherwise are now at risk of being found in violation. We're the ones that have to bring that voice and, and to make that clear to the schools. Certainly if it's happening on your sports teams, again, a lot of the schools are doing what their sports authorities in the states are telling them to do. You know, so it's in a very difficult position to just say that this is, they can do something different. But we need to make sure that we make really clear about the unfairness and the inequity that's happening here. And unfortunately, Groups like the Women's Sports Foundation is encouraging that if a child has had has gender identity issues that you if they're a if they're a boy that you start to give them treatment super early so they won't have the disadvantage of not participating or being able to participate. Now it doesn't go the other way, right? It's just trying to transition our little boys into girls so that they can now participate in sports in a way that would look appear equitable. That's, that is, you know, a whole nother set of questions and maybe a discussion for another day about the medical harm that's being done to children, um, but that's irreversible and the damage that is happening to them. Mm -hmm. And for our listeners who understand that this is a hard topic to talk about, but you feel passionately about it, you're not alone. There are a lot of women who feel the same way and a lot of parents who feel the same way. And so there, there are so many ways now that you can make your voice heard, whether it's online or writing an op-ed for a local paper or joining a group of women who are like-minded in your area. There are a lot of ways that you can feel that camaraderie and then start a, your own little grassroots movement in your town. And, and so it's important that you understand that you, you can make your voice heard. And it, I mean, it's not easy, 
but you're not going to be alone in your efforts. Well, and this is the perfect example of someone, I'll just mention a podcast that we just put up this last month, uh, Maria Keffler speaking with Penny Nance. She is the example of just what you said. She was a teacher in the schools um, that then, you know, has now teenage children, or young teenage children. She wrote about the situation in Arlington County Public Schools where you had uh, uh, the uh, a, a trans activist group come into the kindergarten and teach kids about having to decide who they were and their gender. And um, with no parents knew about this. She wrote an article, it ended up in the Washington Post. She got a, a parent network group started. They've taken the policy, challenged the policy, got tons of inter interaction and engagement. Um, you know, and she herself has been a situation in her own life as a mother facing a, a daughter with, with challenges here, likely just because of the culture we live in that introduces ideas that they wouldn't otherwise have about themselves. And, and she, you know, so she's a member of our church. It, it's just the, it, exactly what you said. When someone finds themselves in a position, don't deny the fact that the Lord might have you in that place for such a time as this. And that's really the thing that we have to embrace or want to embrace as women um, and as, uh, as believers and as, as people that can stand up for truth in our culture. And for if you really wanted to get some more information on specifically just the transgender movement, go and listen to our episode that we did a couple weeks ago with Erin Brewer. Um, she's, a, she's a friend of Maria, and she has a very powerful story about what's going on in our culture from a very personal spot in her life. This has absolutely been an informative discussion, and there's so much to flesh out of this. Um, we will be sharing information all week about, um, you know, articles, uh, things that CWA has done, and just a lot of good information where you can dive in deep and, and take some time to just mull over what we're talking about. But um, where can our listeners go right now and follow CWA's effort and get more information on this topic. Thank you. Thanks for that. Um, concernedwomen.org, under our current topics tab, we have a standing with female athletes kind of pay landing page with a lot of information, links to some other action that's going on, uh, certainly some fact sheets and some other things to find. We're trying to keep and compile the latest things there on our site. Um, you know, we're partnering closely, and I know that you know well, Save Women's Sports. Dot com. I mean, SaveWomenSports.com is their landing page, but this is an organization that was founded by a, a powerlifter, USA powerlifter. She found herself in a very um, unfortunate reality situation of having to face the competition and be, and, and be berated um, in, during competition by activists that were trying to make a point. Uh, she's from Minnesota. She has now galvanized women across this country and across the world. There's partnerships going on right now um, at the international level because we're trying to appeal to the International Olympic Committee. And so um, SaveWomenSports.com is another great place for resources and, and information. Well, thank you so much, Doreen, again, for joining us today. It's been such a great discussion. For those of you listening to this episode, please be sure to subscribe, share with your friends, and even leave us a review. You can find this on all the major social media platforms and at engagewitheagleforum.com. From your house to the state house to the White House, this is Engage with Eagle Forum.